We're going to be in John chapter 8. If you want to be in your Bible, if you want to open that up, give you a chance to find that John chapter 8. What we've been doing as a church is uh, at the beginning of last year. So we're, I think it's still January. Yeah, yeah, we have a few more days left. Uh, January last year, uh, we started working through John in little chunks along the way. And we were calling them seasons. We would do, you know, four or five weeks. We call that season one and season two. And the reason that we did that is because we want to be a church. We want to be a people uh, that has a really good look at who Jesus is. We just believe that most people want to be close to God. Most people want to know God better. And Jesus holds himself out as the one who will show us the way. And so if we get a good look at Jesus, then we will be getting closer to who God is. And you may, along the way, some people are just kind of against the church, or uh, maybe, maybe they have some objections. Uh, I want to be clear that if you do maintain an objection, that it's not just somebody's opinion. It's not Aunt Sally's view of what God is. If you have an objection about God, it should be based on who God revealed himself to be, right? Uh, and that way you're actually objecting to the real God. But what I've found is that most people who hold an objection against God, they're holding an objection against some kind of man-made idea, not so much in how God represents himself. And so we've been working through these in seasons, as I call them. John, the author, he doesn't call them seasons, but we have as a church. Um, and you know, when you watch TV shows at home, you uh, Netflix is putting out your next season of whatever your favorite binge-worthy show is. The first few moments, they're like last time on 24, or you know, it's not 2005 anymore, but whatever you're watching these days, you you get this recap of like here's what we've covered in the past few seasons, just to get everybody up on the same page. And so we will be in John chapter eight, but where have we been? Uh, the first season when we opened this up, we just wanted to see who Jesus was. Uh, each season. Season, we're trying to answer a question. So I'll pose a question in the season and then just let, let the gospel teach us whatever the answer is to that question. Who is Jesus? Who does the Bible say that Jesus is? And the way John remembers his friend, because remember John, he was... He lived with Jesus for a while. They were close. He was one of the disciples. He was the beloved disciple. When he remembers his friend Jesus, he remembers him on this cosmic scale, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. John holds Jesus out as the one that the Father has sent into this world to bring light where there is darkness. And that's, that's like John's explanation of the origins of Jesus and his purpose. So who is Jesus? According to John, Jesus is the one who is sent to rescue us from our problems. Do you look around? Do you see problems in your community? You have family, friends, that are just like there's this brokenness, there's this weight, there's this darkness, you might say. Um, if you agree with John about what the problem is, if you agree with Jesus about what the problem is, then maybe the solution would be very appealing. In the second season, all of these were last year. Uh, in the second season, you know, if Jesus is as good as John says he is, does he does he get us? Does Jesus know the human condition? Some people have this picture of Jesus, like, well, you know, he's perfect. He walks on water, and if he really knew how messed up I was, would he even accept me? And it turns out Jesus is really up to date on the human condition and what brokenness has done to us. He understands that pain. He understands that sense of brokenness, that sense of, I can't pull myself together. And his response is basically, 
I never expected you to pull yourself together. Let me help you. That's why he's the rescuer. And then, and then the third season, uh, where we kind of ended last year of, is like these claims of Jesus, they, they almost sound too good to be true. Does he even have the authority to bring these claims to be? Does he have the right to make the statements that he says? And so we looked at what Jesus said his authority was. And Jesus holds himself out. If you, if you, you know, read his words, he says that the Father sent me. The Father sent me to rescue you. I have the authority to bring life and I have the authority to judge the affairs of men and I'm choosing not to condemn. I want to bring you life. For those who will follow me, Jesus would say, you get life. You get redemption. You get rescue. That's a really, really good message. And so we're picking up on season four. Last week, if you were here, you, I explained why that's a weird passage. I'm kind of considering this the beginning of, of season four. And I just want to ask this question and try to answer it over the next five or six weeks. And that is, what is it that Jesus can see that I can't see? Isn't it weird that so many times we're, we're in church, we're reading maybe our Bibles, and we see something, and Jesus is just like, he's talking about something we haven't even considered yet. It's like, it's almost out of the left field. I call them like the Yoda teachings of Jesus, like, uh, to be first, you must be last. Oh, what is it that he sees that makes that a true statement? Uh, if you want your life, you must first lose your life. Jesus says things like that. These teachings of Jesus... They come from a source, a place, apparently, where he sees something that we can't see. And so what is it that Jesus can see that you and I can't see? What is it that's in our blind spots? Um, and I think, I think that we're going to see that over the next few weeks. Um, I have a superpower. Uh, I don't want to brag, but I feel like you, know, you should know this about me. Uh, I uh, am supremely confident in my night vision skills. I don't actually have night vision skills. I just believe that I do. Um, when I'm walking into a room, especially a room in my house, it will be pitch black. And somehow I convince myself every time that I see this room perfectly, it's my house. I know where I left my couch last. I know where the toys are. I know where the dog sleeps. I know these things. Things. And somehow in this convincing, maybe my superpower is just self-delusion. I'm not sure. But somehow in this, in this, in this dark room, I convince myself I know the way. And almost a hundred percent of the time I step on a toy. I catch my pinky toe on the side of the couch. I will injure myself in a dark room thinking I see the way when in reality I can't. Fun fact, uh, I spend so much time here in this building, I kind of think the same thing about this building. I feel like I can walk around here in the dark. Unfortunately for me, uh, unfortunately for my family members, uh, there's cameras recording everything that happens in this building. And I have a whole collection of videos of me injuring myself, falling over stuff, getting into fights with people that aren't there. I had a TV follow me. I thought I was being attacked. I didn't know. It was just like a flat screen TV fell on my head. And in, in the video, you see my fist come up and then I go down like... I just, I get taken out by the TV. Um, there, there's a video of me in the sound booth, and I've walked in here in the middle of the night. Now, I could have turned on the lights, but I have night vision, as I've said. I know where the stairs are. And there's this video of me walking up the stairs in the sound booth, doing whatever it is I was going to do. And then on the way out, I just, like, I thought the stage was one more step longer. And I didn't just, in my head, it was very graceful. Um, in my head, I just, like, alighted the ground, like, like, a, like, a, like a fairy or something. Uh, in reality, I went down like a sack of potatoes, and I took out half of the curtain and all of the soundstage. And, and this video exists. I have a copy of it because I am very confident that I can see things when in reality I can't. Uh, 
When in reality, I'm walking in darkness, and I'm like, I know where to go, but my experience has been that I don't really know where to go. My experience has been that without a light, I'm going to hurt myself. And it's me that is hurting myself in those moments. And what we're going to see is that Jesus, he has a viewpoint that you and I don't have. He has a better viewpoint, and he holds himself out as the one who will show us the way. And in my stubbornness, I sometimes like, no, Jesus, I don't want to do it your way. That doesn't make sense. That's too complicated. I clearly see the correct way to do this. And what do I do when I do that? I injure myself or I injure someone else. Um, Maybe you experience that as well. Let's open our Bibles. Let's look in John chapter 8, and let's just see where, where we go with this. We'll start in verse 12. Um, Jesus is uh, he's teaching. He's teaching a, a crowd of people, and uh, as is usually the case, there are people who are interested in what Jesus is saying, and then there are people who are like, no, I've got an ax to grind, the Pharisees and the scribes. They want to step in and correct Jesus. Verse 12, chapter 8, verse 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is uh, not even the first time Jesus has made this claim in the Gospel of John. It is a theme on the mouth of Jesus. It's a theme on the narrator's mouth as, as he's teaching us that Jesus holds himself out as the light in a world that is nothing but darkness. In a world that is hurting, in a world that has blind spots, Jesus holds himself out as the one who will show you the way both to himself, show you the way to the Father, and show you the way to have life now. Have life in your marriage, have life in your relationships at work, that Jesus holds himself out as the one who has the light of life. Um, I don't know if you agree with Jesus at this moment. Let's ask a couple of quick questions. Is there darkness in this world? And define that however you like. Is there a large section, maybe a majority section of people that we know hurting, being injured, living in different stages of brokenness that we might describe as darkness, metaphorically as darkness. Do we agree with Jesus that darkness is a problem? I, I do. I do not just because I'm a pastor and I'm trying to convince you that the Bible is true. Just as I study this, I look around and like, there's a large number of our people that are suffering and hurting. What is the hope? The hope, Jesus says, is himself. He is the light of life. The claim that Jesus is making is that there is a darkness and it does exist. And then he points to himself and he says that he is the light of life, that anybody who's in darkness, what do they need? They need a light. They need Jesus. Um, my family, we, we took a road trip uh, years ago, a family road trip, and it's the last leg of the road trip. Um, we are in Tennessee. Um, I thought this was a normal winter in Tennessee. It was snowing everywhere. It was beautiful. I felt like I, I was very confident in my driving skills. Um, and there's all these like switchbacks in the mountains, and everybody's like nervous and clenching steering wheels and like, ah, we're going to die. I'm like, no, I've got this. It's fine. It's fine. Very confident because in my head, this is just a normal blizzard. It turns out it was like, once in a 50-year blizzard that hit Tennessee, even local Tennesseans are like, we're not getting on the roads. This is terrible. But I was pretty confident. I went in these switchbacks. I go up these dark hills. There were zero problems. We didn't get in a wreck. Nothing happened. I was very confident that I'm okay in this dark, dark road. The next morning, 
I wake up, we all wake up, I go out on the patio and I look down the hill that I just drove up just a few hours before and there was a car that had careened off the side of the road that I drove past in the middle of the night, I never knew it, and they were being held up only by a fence post and a tree. They must have climbed out of this car and then just left it waiting for it to thaw enough for someone to come rescue them. In the darkness, I felt confident that there was no danger here, but there was a family that got stung that night, the same night that I was driving on the road. And I, could you imagine, like you go off the side of a cliff and then just stop looking down, I don't know, 50 feet, 100 feet that you could have gone down? That is terrifying. And we all walk through this life in, like there's, there's darkness and Jesus holds himself out as the light of life. I want to be very clear. This is a, a, a pastory moment. Let me, let me shepherd many of you real quick. We're making the claim today that Jesus says, follow him. We're not making the claim today that you need to change any of your behaviors in order to follow him. See, a lot of churchy things get taught about how Jesus wants us to behave, how Jesus wants us to act, how, how we can be more Jesus-y. Those are good. Please pay attention to them. But that's not our hope. Our hope is not that we learn the right ways to behave. Our hope is that we follow Jesus, and he transforms us, and then our behaviors follow. Let me, let me say it a little bit more clearly. We do not promote behavior change in order to get transformation. We promote following Jesus in order to be transformed, and then a side effect of that is behavior change. And that may be the most freeing thing some of us will hear. Some of our friends may need to, to hear that. And so if you see darkness in your world, you are then agreeing with Jesus about what the problem is. And so therefore, we should pay really close attention to what he holds out as the solution. And here's where things get messy as far as the Gospel of John is concerned, because while he makes this claim, and they should pay attention to it, the Pharisees, they step in and they have some objections. They're not going to pay attention to the claim. They want to challenge him. They, they, want to, to, they have their own agenda that they're bringing to the table. Look at what the Pharisees say in verse 13. So, so the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and I know where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet, even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. Jesus makes the claim that he is the light, and instead of the Pharisees just like wrestling with whether or not that was true, they hold some objections against Jesus based on like legal mumbo jumbo. Oh, your testimony's not true. You don't have the right number of witnesses, and you got to have this built up. And Jesus' response is, I'm not making a judgment right now. I'm, if I were making a judgment, I would do it that way. I'm telling you the truth. They, they brought some kind of legal loophole to try to trip Jesus up. Um, in, in our culture, we have, we have legal loopholes that happen all the time. How many of you have ever watched a TV show where like the criminal that 100% for sure did it gets away, gets ruled innocent because they didn't read his Miranda rights at the right time and all the evidence gets dismissed? Have you ever seen that in a show? And so it's not that he was innocent. It's that there's some kind of legal loophole and then just the whole thing gets dismissed. 
Or, you know, the, they didn't have a warrant to search the property or the car. And so he definitely had 10 kilos of cocaine in the trunk of his car, but it wasn't searched legally. And so a legal loophole gets that person sent off. We, we've seen that, right? Um, my family, actually, if I think about it right now, uh, I think it was that same year that we did the Tennessee trip. We uh, were planning a different trip. And we got scammed online. I, you know, you know, like the Nigerian prince, he's, he's like offering you something and like you get this email. It's a long story. I never thought we would ever get scammed, but we got scammed and we got burned. We put a deposit down on a trip. We lost uh, several hundred dollars um, because it was not a real, well, it was a real person, but they ran off with it. And here's, here's something you need to know about me about before I go any further. I can't let stuff go all the time. I don't, I don't know about you. Like I get like a dog with a bone. I've got to find out what happened. And so I, the first thing I do is I call the police. I'm like, Hey, I feel like an idiot, but I got scammed. And they're like, yeah, that happens sometimes. So they come and they take my information now and they do this. And I said, so what are you guys going to do about it? And he starts laughing. It's like, what do you mean? It's like, I called you over here. I would like my money back or someone to investigate. They're like, oh, it's so hard to investigate these things. You, you don't even know. I was like, I, I think we could try. I mean, I don't, I think that's your job. Maybe. Um, and they're like, well, we'll, we'll let you know. And a week goes by and nobody's done anything. This is one of those moments. And, and so I'm like, my wife will tell you, I just can't let things go. Um, I start researching and I start finding things. Things. I, I found this, uh, the person's real name, and then I found her real cell phone number, and then I found her real email address, and then I found her real address, um, and then I found her on Google Street View. I took a picture of the front of her house, and then I called her on her cell phone and told her that I found all these things, and I would like my money back, and so she hung up on me. Um, and then I sent her screenshots of her own house and said, listen, I'm sending the cops. If you don't, if you do not give me my money back, she blocks that. And so I send all of this to the police department. Um, and they were like, look, we, like, we can't even prove that she did this. We believe that she did this, but it doesn't meet the legal definitions of a crime. And I said, well, here's her email address. Long story short, it turns out the FBI was already watching her. And so that was cool. Still haven't got my money back, but she is still free. She is still considered innocent because of this legal loophole. Not because she didn't do it, but because the objection holds up in court that it doesn't stand. Jesus is making the claim that he brings life and instead of them addressing that claim, they bring an objection. How many times do you or someone you know, instead of actually addressing the claims of Jesus, just get caught up in some weird objection? And we miss the whole point. We miss the meat of the message. We get caught up in like things that sometimes make sense, sometimes don't. I hear objections all the time. Jesse, I can't, I can't go to church. Why? Well, I went to church like 10 years ago, and those people were so mean to me. And they hurt me, and they did A, B, and C, and therefore I'm never going to church again. Yeah, those people were jerks. But why does that change the hope of the church? You know that Jesus said that the church uh, will, will fight the gates of hell. It is plan A for how God is going to rectify the world. And yet that is an objection that keeps people from ever hearing the message of Jesus. Some people have an objection like this. They say, like, look, I, I had this thing coming up, and I prayed. I was on my knees, and I cried, and I begged. I cried out to God to do this, and he just didn't answer my prayers. I'm done praying, and I'm done with church. Well, I, I just that's a real pain. I hear that pain. 
Here's the problem with that objection, though, is that when we pray, we don't believe that we're rubbing the side of a genie lamp and he's obligated to do what we say. When we pray, we believe that we're talking to the holy creator of the universe, the one who stands before time, the beginning and the end. He knows all things. And he may choose to do things differently than what we say in our finite being. We do not get guaranteed answers to prayers the way that we want them. We get a guarantee that he hears us, though. The objection doesn't hold up, but it's a real objection with a real hurt to it. Some people, they have an objection like, you know, I was at church and those people, man, they're, they're backwards. They lie. They're hypocrites. They're just full of, like, the church is just full of messy people. And I'm like, yeah, well, the gym is full of fat people and you're, the hospital's full of sick people and the police station's full of criminals. And yet we use all three of those. Of course, the church is full of broken people. That's why we come. That's why we hope to be restored. We're just trying, if we're honest, we're just trying to figure this life out. And yet we don't always have the best view of how to do things. That's why we look to Jesus and we try to do things his way. We try to trust his way. And Jesus, he holds himself out as the light. We need to be honest with ourselves and with God about our objections and stop making up nonsense barriers that aren't really logical to why we wouldn't follow him. He's, he's good. And he holds himself up as the light. Okay, so just to recap, Jesus makes a claim. The Pharisees ignore the claim. They make some kind of legal mumbo-jumbo. They try to out-Bible Jesus. Just a, just a quick aside real quick. Nobody in the history of ever has ever out-Bibled Jesus, okay? And so he, uh, he, gives, uh, he Bibles them a little bit better. Let's, let's read Jesus' response um, because they're making legal objections to what he's saying. And he says, that's not valid. I'm not even trying to judge you right now. However, verse 17, in your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. I've got two people. I'm one of the witnesses. The Father is the other witness. Do you have any other questions? They said to him, verse 19, well, where's your daddy? <laughs> where's, where's your father? That, that's pretty dirty, y'all. Um, so most scholars, uh, it, I think most, most of you know this, but let me just tell you, uh, Jesus, uh, he was born to Mary and he had an earthly father, Joseph, uh, but he, he was, you know, immaculate conception, the whole virgin birth story. But Joseph would have been his, his stepfather, half, not, half father's not a real thing, is it? <laughs> and so it's, it's his earthly father, uh, but he, Joseph, as many of you know, he's conspicuously missing towards the end of the Gospels. He's at the beginnings, he's missing, he's not at the, at the crucifixion of Jesus, he's not at the funeral, Mary stands by herself. It appears that Mary is a widow by the time that Jesus, so what happened to Joseph? Well, I mean, most people think that he's died. Something happened, maybe an accident, who knows. And so I think that these Pharisees are taking a little jab at him. Oh, yeah, well, where's your dad? Knowing that Joseph has died. I don't, I don't think that this is a legitimate, like, we are really curious about this. Um, well, where's your father? They said, Jesus answered them, you know neither me nor my father. I, I just hear a little agitation building in the Lord's voice. I don't know if you hear it uh, the way that I do. He says, if you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Notice Jesus is not scared of confrontation. 
He is not scared of their objections. He not only answers their objections, but then he actually draws them back to the point here in just a moment. And he does it all in a public space. John goes out of his way to say that Jesus is comfortable having this conversation in a crowded space. And even though they're wanting to arrest him, they won't arrest him because they're cowards. Most people uh, are too afraid to bring their objections to church and actually ask real questions. Most people who they get a little rise out of, you know, bad mouthing Christianity or having their objections heard of it. If, if you just ask them, like, do you really want to have the conversation? And they'll dodge you. They'll duck you. They don't really want to have the conversation. They'd just rather be mad and bitter. Um, Jesus is having this conversation in public. John uses the phrase, his hour had not yet come. That's a phrase that is repeated over and over in John, is that Jesus is ultimately in control of when he lays his life down in the Gospels. And because he's chosen, my hour's not yet come. It's not going to happen. So verse 21, so he said to them again, they're having their objections. He says to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, well, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. They again are missing the claim. Jesus just told them, listen, if you're not careful, you're going to die in your sin. And then they get together. Hey guys, is he going to commit suicide? Is he like, what's this plan right now? But they're not addressing whether or not it's true that they have a problem with sin. They are again refusing to take Jesus at his most basic claims. Have you listened to the claims of Jesus and just considered them for yourself? What are the claims of Jesus? First is this, is that there's darkness in this world. Do you agree with that? There's a darkness in this world. There's a pain that's in that darkness. And Jesus says that he has the solution. If I agree with him that there's a darkness, I want to know about his solution. He says that there's a thing called sin, and it is devastating. He told those Pharisees, you're going to die in your sin. If you're not careful, if you're missing this, you're going to die in your sin. Do you know that sin is real? It's not some made-up thing to control mankind. That when we do things that are contrary to the way that the Lord would have us do them, it devastates us. It has an effect on us, and it has an effect on others. What is it that Jesus can see that we can't see? He can see the effects of sin better than we can. And he wants to rescue us from that. And yet you and I, myself included, I'm not just pointing the finger at anybody. We just play patty cake with sin. It's not that big of a deal. Nobody even knows. And we don't even realize how it rots us on the inside. He tells the Pharisees, if you're not careful, you're going to die in your sin. And they just dismiss him. And he says that he has a solution to this. What do you do with the actual claims of Jesus? How do you handle them? How do your friends who are curious about the Lord, do they even know what Jesus holds himself out as? You know, some people, they don't, they don't read the claims of Jesus. They just hear what people say about him. And they hear a man who wags his finger at every fun thing in this world. Every, everything that, like, of course, everybody's made a mistake. And, like, they have this image of Jesus wagging his finger. That's not the Jesus of the Gospels. The Jesus of the Gospels is, listen to me. He's pleading with them. Hear me. I can rescue you. And they just ignore him on the objections. Let's finish this section pretty quickly here. Verse 23. He said to them, You are from below. I am from above. 
You are of this world. I am not of this world. Why is it that Jesus can see better than me and you? Because he is not just human. He is God in the flesh. Scripture says that Jesus is the one who created this universe, that it was his voice that said, let there be light. That's how John opens his gospel. And so he's from a different, he has a different perspective than me and you. When, when that car crashed on the side of the ravine, the people up on the top of the hill had a really good view of what that looked like. They had a good view of how icy the roads were. Me, coming up the hill, I had no idea what the danger was. You and I, were living in a world, and we're just going up a dark hill, hoping we know the way. And Jesus says, I'm the light. Trust me. He has a good view. And he tells them, I'm from above. You're from below. I'm not of this world. Verse 24. He says, I just told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. It's like he's telling them, you're ignoring the very thing that I'm saying. I just told you you're going to die in your sin, and you're talking about whether or not I have a dad. Why, why are we missing this? So they said to him, well, who are you? And Jesus says, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. That's why none of this is a repeat. John's been telling us this from the very beginning of his book, and Jesus on his own lips has repeated who he is and who his authority is. He says, just what I've been telling you from the beginning, I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world that I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, you will know that I am he. And then I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And as he was saying these things, Many believed in him. Jesus repeats something that he said in John chapter 7. He said in John chapter 5. He hasn't changed his story. The father sent a rescuer. Here, here's the truth that we all need to know, and for some of us just remember. All that brokenness we see, the father saw it. He saw before we were even in this world that this world is devastatingly broken and we're not going to figure out how to solve it on our own. We can't. We are limited by our own nature. And therefore, he steps into his own creation. Jesus steps into his own creation and he rescues us. He claims that he's been sent from the Father and that his authority to make these claims comes as one who is from the Father. Jesus claims at least two pieces of authority specifically are his to wield, to give life and to judge the affairs of men. Why does Jesus know what a sin is? Because he has the authority to call a thing a sin. That's why. It's his right. He knows the way. Jesus claims that you and I have a problem with sin. It is devastating to us. And then he claims that he's the light of life, that he is the ultimate solution. Because of who he is and where he's from, Jesus can see our problem and he can see the solution better than we can. Do you, do you know that? Do you, do you believe that? He's, he's different than us. He knows how to help you in your marriage. He knows how to help you with your coworker. He knows how to help you with any relationship, any, any self-image problem. He, he, whatever, whatever effect sin and darkness has had on you, he knows the path. And so we use the phrase here. We don't, we don't call 
Christians, Christians here, because the word has so much baggage and things. We use the phrase over and over again, followers of Jesus, because, because he's the way, and we follow him. We ask him, like, how do I handle this situation? And then we just follow his teaching. Well, that doesn't make sense, Jesse. That's confusing. It's a Yoda statement. It doesn't have to make sense for it to be the right way. If he's the light, he knows the way. If you agree with Jesus about the problem, that there is darkness, and that it's devastating, sin is devastating to us, then maybe you should trust Jesus with the solution that he's offering, or at least take it and wrestle with the actual claims of Jesus. Is he right? Does he know the way? Is his way better? At the end of what we just read in verse 30, it says that as he was saying these things to a crowd, many, many people believed him. What happens when someone believes Jesus? What happens when someone confesses Jesus as Lord? You can decide right now, if you never have, you can decide right now to put your hope and your trust in Jesus and be rescued. You can decide that right now. Here's what John said at the very beginning of his book. When he was just like outlining where he's about to go in this gospel, here's what John said. John chapter 1 verse 12 says this, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You could be a part of the all. Any person in any part of darkness, in any devastation of sin, can choose to take Jesus up on his rescue plan, to confess him as Lord, to believe in him. And Jesus says, I give you life. I give you the right to be God's child. I bring you into the fold and I will show you the way. This is what we're pleading for for each other, for our friends and our loved ones. Not that we ultimately have the answers, We just know where to go to get the answers. Jesus is our hope. And so let this be a challenge to you. If you're, if you're a Christian in here, you're like, Jesse, I, I I confessed Jesus 20 years ago. This message isn't for me. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's for you to trust him with that thing that's really hard right now because you're still on this side of heaven. So you've got something hard going on. That's just part of the consequences of being on this side of heaven. And so you can trust Jesus with that right now. You can believe that he has light when that is darkness and it doesn't make sense. You can trust him with that. For those of you in here who have friends and loved ones, they're like, they're just falling apart. They don't need behavior modification. Well, you're like, well, it's their behaviors that are causing them problems. Eh, it's sin. It's devastating. And you teaching them how to stop cussing or how to stop drinking does not change. That's not the rescue plan. Let me put it that way. The rescue plan is that they know who Jesus is. That they confess him as Lord, and then they would believe in him. Let him handle the behavior modification, yeah? Your friends would appreciate it if we'd stop wagging our finger at them and telling them to change their behaviors. And then we just point people to the one who has hope. I think we can do that. I think that would be a good place to land. Let me pray for us. I ask you to pray with me, and then you will be dismissed. Father, uh, Lord, we, we come to you. Uh, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for uh, how it's been preserved through time uh, to just consider Jesus and take him at his own words. Lord, may we have a clear look at these claims. Um, Lord, help us to help us to wrestle with them. Whatever objections any of us might have, may may they just may we be able to articulate them um, and bring them to you, or bring them to a friend, a loved one, uh, to to ask, to seek out, Lord, to pray uh, the truth of Jesus's claims over over families, over us. That um, 
whatever darkness is there, Lord, that you bring it to light, uh, that you would show a path forward, that you bring life, in fact, to the men and women uh, that are trusting in you. May we, may we see you rescue our friends and our neighbors uh, and bring them to uh, a saving relationship with Jesus, or at least confronted with the claims of Jesus on his own terms. Lord, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.